Hey folks, welcome to the Become Unlimited podcast, where my mission is to explore and equip you with the most effective tools and practices across topics such as nutrition, fitness, emotional and mental health, spirituality, relationships, and lifestyle design. I'm excited to introduce you to our guest today, a very close friend of mine, someone I'm very fond of and who I admire tremendously, Alex Olshansky, aka Olo. He is a tech exec turned writer and coach. He writes the popular Fridays on the Olo newsletter, a weekly exploration of consciousness, philosophy, mental health, and addiction. After over a decade scaling some of Silicon Valley's leading companies, he now coaches executives on how to transform their lives. Alex is the founder of a digital community that focuses on deepening collective understanding through group dialogue. He's also a yoga instructor, men's retreat host, student of South American shamanic lineages, and a lover of tea. Alex is passionate about leveraging the intersection of nature, technology, and human connection for social change. In this episode of the podcast, numero dos, number two, you can hear Alex and I touch on topics such as overcoming addiction from Alex's point of view and his personal transformation our spiritual awakenings and how we would describe those in a little bit more depth and how we can give some insight into those experiencing potentially some of the same things in their lives. We talk through meditation, how we've each used it in our own lives and much more. So with that said, let's go ahead and dive right into the conversation. I hope that you enjoy it and I'll see you on the other side. Alex, welcome to the show, man. So great to have you here. Jonathan, thanks so much. It's a, it's a pleasure. Yeah, so at the intro uh, of this conversation, folks would already learned a little bit about you, right? And I say a little bit because it's only as much as I can, I can say <laughs> in a very short introduction. Now, I do want to kick us off with you just sharing your story, man, of you know, what is it that has gotten you to where you are today? Uh, and I know you have a bit of a, of a background as it relates to all the transformation that you've been through to get to where you are. Um, so I'd love to just provide some background as it relates to that with everyone listening in. Yeah, happy to 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 tell that story. I'm getting a little bit more practiced at doing so throughout these years. And so for me, it goes back to being a, a wild and, and rebellious kid. And growing up, um, I... I had a lot of energy and um, that resulted in me acting out, um, getting in trouble. Um, I was always, I, ha- I, was f- I was focused in class, but also one of those kids who could get away with uh, cutting class and cutting corners and generally um, generally thrived off being a little bit of a class clown and, and you know, had a lot of ego where I felt like it was okay to, to take up space and, and be kind of a, to be, if I'm being honest with myself, a really arrogant and, and, and loud kid. Um, and so what that resulted in is at an early age, um, I started, I think I first started drinking when I was about 13. Um, I started smoking weed, um, when I was 16, cutting class. And I remember, you know, very vividly, just how that was my first real taste of escape. And the first time when I was like, oh, wow, there's this other other avenue. And um, I pretty much from age 16 throughout my 20s smoked 
cannabis every single day of my life, oftentimes multiple times a day. Um, and so it was kind of one of those guys who um, would be driving around, you know, smoking blunts, listening to music. Hip hop was really big at this time. You know, we were doing a lot of these macho masculinity things like I had tints on my windows um, and uh, was living that, that type of life where um, I, I was most concerned with getting myself to, to the next party. Um, so looking back, um, it, it makes a lot of sense that, um, when I found my way in college, um, and then started really, um, pulling on threads of philosophy, uh, in reading poets and, um, existentialists, um, I started to develop a, a worldview that was quite, um, quite cold. Um, mm. you know, I was reading Kierkegaard, I was reading Sartre. Um, I, I actually wrote my, my, my thesis, my study at school was on Kierkegaardian existentialism and the lyrics of, of Bob Dylan and, and Wallace Stephen, which might sound kind of fun and American, but underneath it was this real, you know, life is inherently meaningless is, yeah. as, as meaning, hum, you know, humans try to pull meaning wherever we can, um, yet um, meaning doesn't exist. And um, I really saw I, at that point I started to rationalize uh, my escape, my drug use um, as this kind of Hunter S. Thompson glorified uh, seeking, thrill seeking where, you know, Oh, I'm a, I'm a drunk poet. So I can be up all night drinking whiskey and smoking hash and, <laughs> you know, doing cocaine and that, because that's what, that's what you do when you're a searcher and a seeker. Um, and so I very much resonated with that kind of hippie psychedelic movement, but for all the superficial reasons. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. I actually had a, a pet snake in, in Ramdas uh, in college. The snake's name was Ramdas, um, which to me, Ramdas, like in my journey, which I'll, I'll get a little bit more to, has so much significance to me. Um, but at the time, I just thought, oh, you know, Dr. Richard Albert from Harvard, you know, that kicked out of Harvard for experimenting with students in LSD. How, how badass is that? Um, I thought, I, you know, again, it was really all the superficial um, elements of that type of psychedelia that was uh, attracting uh, me. Um, and so I guess fast forward from there, I found my way to, to California um, and um, very quickly entered a tech, which at the time was a different state. It was very exciting. We, we still thought we were saving the world. We still thought we were the good guys, um, you know, working at some, some big companies that you've, you've probably heard of. Um, like Salesforce and Twitter. And um, I found myself pretty fast after making it into California in a predicament where um, I was now not just the guy partying all night with friends, but partying alone all night, waking up in the morning in withdrawal mm. in cold sweats, um, doing lines in the bathroom at work. You know, real like kind of, it's, it's when I kind of, I had a woke, wake up call one morning when I was just like, whoa, like, wait, this, this is not normal. This is not right. Um, but despite that, I, you know, when you, once you reach a point, um, I didn't have any tools or understanding on how to deal with discomfort and pain. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I just stayed in it and it kind of kept getting worse and worse and worse. Um, I sought treatment here and there, but even at the time, like the idea of AA or recovery was, was unbeknownst to me. It really just wasn't something that was like in my sphere of a thought. Um, and on top of that, I had tons of shame, um, you know, where I, I thought that being an addict was a failure, a moral failing. 
Um, I didn't, I didn't want to be judged. You know, the fear of what others think is, was, is very much at the root of my, my pain and my suffering and my addiction. I had no idea what to do about it. Um, I, what, at the time it felt like the, my biggest problem was opiates and amphetamines. That's what I felt. Okay. If I, if I solve for that, if I stop doing those big heavy drugs, then everything else will be fine. And so when I did do treatment, I did it very, with very uh, half-heartedly. And I really just focused on stopping those while I was simultaneously drinking every day, still smoking weed, just doing all sorts of other things like uh, benzos and was never really ever able to make any progress. Um, Eventually, things got worse and worse and and darker and darker. And there's a saying in recovery circles, Jonathan, that um, it's, it's all fun and games until the drugs stop working. And eventually, I think that's what happens. That's why they, they talk about addiction being a chronic, a chronic aff- affliction, a chronic disease, because it gets, if not treated, it gets worse over time, ending in death. And that was, that was the road I was heading. It got quite, quite bad for me where many nights I would go to sleep not knowing if I'd wake up the next morning. I was on such a, such a mix you know, I was operating under this guise of biohacking where I was tweaking uppers and downers, trying to find the perfect balance. Um, and, uh, eventually, um, I, what my bottom was, was, um, after getting a new exciting, uh, tech job that, um, at a hot company that I lost after just a few months, um, for a variety of reasons. But I mean, I think it's safe to say that first and foremost, because I was a wreck, uh, because my life was a wreck and it was at the peak. Um, and then at that time, my um, wife, now ex, had been like, whoa, this is, a, and kind, it kind of had been like, this is enough. I can't do this anymore. It wasn't when we officially separated, but it was kind of like one of the big moments where it was a one two gut punch where, like, whoa, like I've been half fasting this recovery thing for a while and it's just not working anymore. On top of that, my family had had intervened and so i was at that point humbled embarrassed brought to my knees and willing to do anything um to make a change mm-hmm. and that's when i really just dove headfirst into recovery yeah well first of all i appreciate you just being vulnerable and raw with us you know and in that moment how would you describe i mean what happened for you can you see a little bit more yeah well um i i've heard um one way i think i've heard bottoms described as um bottoms exist on a spectrum when we talk about a bottom right Mm -hmm. an addiction where you know some people have a dui and they actually you know manslaughter kill someone other people um you know will get drunk at a wedding and embarrass themselves you know, other folks just, you know, there's a whole range and people fall somewhere on that spectrum of bottoms. Mm. Um, and there's something I think very beautiful about bottoms. They're, they're awful times. They're horrible. You know, the worst feeling in my life um, where, you know, I was crying, um, just literally on my knees crying. Um, and I think why though they're kind of beautiful and also sacred moments um, is because it's the first time when when addicts, when we can finally be honest with ourselves and to those around us and just say, like, look, I have no idea what I'm doing in this life thing. Hmm. 
I, I don't know what I'm doing and I need help. Who, who can help me? And it's only in that moment when, I mean, as you, as you probably know, you know, there's one of the challenges with, with addiction and why it really doesn't set for so many people in recovery is because they have to do it for themselves. Right. You know, a lot of people can get shipped off to rehab, but if you don't really want it and you're not at that point where it's like, I will do anything and tell me, please, you know, someone show me what to do. And so, um, I had just reached that point where I had had enough, um, you know, it, takes a real physical toll as well. So my body, I was malnourished, dehydrated, you know, my finances were, were a mess. Just every aspect of life um, was, was a, a zero. You know, you, I know you do a lot of personal development work and you can kind of rank those different categories. And I, I was just all around in, in as bad a shape as I could be. Mm. Yeah, and, and I love what you said that the bottom looks very differently or very different for everybody. Right. And mm -hmm. it seems like what I hear you say is if you don't pay attention to the potential bottoms, it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse until you have that just exponential bottom and just that meltdown, if you will. And you almost have no choice but to wake up, it seems. Yeah, that, I think that's a really important point. And, um, and I actually find it so beautiful when I talk to just, you know, just being someone who is in, uh, who works with in personal development and works with people and executives and, and other addicts, people come to me a lot and I hear stories where someone will say, yeah, you know, I just really realized that I was drinking too much and I want to be healthier and I've stopped drinking. And I'm, and when I'm, and I'm just like, you know, more power to you at the same time thinking like, damn, like, not everyone has that awareness. So everyone also is at different stages on the journey. And so to your point, the more aware, the more, the more um, capable you are of catching that storm early mm. before the bottom, just like, you know, they talk about it, it's like an elevator that will keep going down levels by level um, until you stop it. Yeah. 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 One of the, the, the thoughts that came up because I, um, you know, David Data is one of the teachers. I, I have a lot, so many audios from him that I always have to bring him up, but he explains it in categories. Like oftentimes those will come in just simple tests throughout the days of something that's just not working. And if we don't pay attention to those things, they just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until something massive has to happen in our lives for us to finally wake up. Right. And, you know, mm. we hope that we don't have to get to those points, but for some of us, sometimes that's the case, right? And to your point, everyone is in their different point in time on that journey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Love David data. And I think that, that, that is so apt to be, and that's why addiction I find to be, you know, the more I do this work and the more I work with people, the more universal I find that it is. Um, for instance, for some people, it might be, you know, your, your partner or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or partner just walks out one day, you know, it, for others, it could be that you, you, you lose a job um, for others. You know, there's also, you don't get the promotion. It, it, it really is a range of things. It doesn't actually have to be addiction, but usually, um, yeah. I mean, I mentioned Ramdas earlier and he talks about just how trauma and I'm in this, I, I think this is also what David data is saying is a profound vehicle for awakening. Mm -hmm. It's one mm -hmm. of the fastest ways to get yourself to a place where you're like, okay, I want to change. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, what you mentioned there is like, for example, you might get an opportunity to, to start healing those wounds in the way of maybe a fight 
with your partner, or maybe it's, it's something that happens in your family. And when we don't pay attention to those, they just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger until something like I mentioned massive happens. Right. So what he says is like, take what you've been given brother and don't wait until you, you have to encounter that massive uh, shift, if you will, you know, and I'm sure you can relate to some extent to that. And where I wanted to go next, Alex was in that moment, you mentioned when things shifted for you, I'm curious how you would describe what happened to you from a spiritual component or aspect uh, and I and I say that because a lot of the topics here that I that I really was wanting to explore with you is you know a lot on the topic of spirituality and healing from from a bigger mm-hmm. from a higher uh, level. So what would you say, or how would you describe what happened to you spiritually in that moment? Yeah, well, um, I think in the in the grandest sense, um, I was humbled, like truly, mm-hmm. truly humbled, and I think that. Um, humility is is a is a key facet of spirituality um i think spirituality can yeah mean many things and maybe we'll talk a little bit about what what it means but um in that moment um i was at a point where um i was willing to try things that were just outside of the scope of who i thought alex was who i thought you know and that was a very um secular um existentialist uh rationalist person and so you know, for instance, me, when I first went to AA and they would, you know, I come from um, a Jewish lineage, a Holocaust lineage from Nazi Germany um, in an AA, you know, when they end with the Lord's prayer um, and holding hands um, and talk about doing step work where you're praying, you know, I had a, I was very triggered and I had a lot of resistance to that. Yet I was at a point where I was you know what? Okay. I, something seems to be working for, for these guys, mm. especially that's the beautiful thing about programs like that is you see examples of people who are walking the walk. Um, and so um, my journey with spirituality has actually been, you know, I've always been connected to music and, and, and the body and nature. But when we talk about something like God, when we talk about uh, something deeper, um, I was very resistant to, to that type of idea. And, um, it wasn't until I, you know, kept working it and working it. And, you know, when, when my sponsor and early, and early teachers were just say, you know, just, you know, just say the prayer, just do it, you know, because the, in, I was at a point in my life where things were so hard for me that there were days when I just said the serenity prayer, probably thousands of times, um, which is a super beautiful offering. Um, and, you know, God, give me the courage to accept the things I cannot change, the strength to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Um, and that, you know, that in itself can be a pretty secular statement. Um, and it, uh, in another, I guess in one way to say is it started working. Um, and then that led me, that led me just my, I followed my curiosity that led me to Buddhism it led me to yoga. I had always been a meditator and a yogi, but casually, this is when I started going to workshops, retreats, doing teacher trainings, and really going deeper and deeper down that path. And um, it eventually actually culminated in me um, a year after continuous sobriety, um, drinking um, ayahuasca for the first time, which was something that truly, um, truly changed my perspective and confirmed much of the work that I had laid the groundwork that I, in early recovery. And then from there, it just opened up 
whole new doors of uh, of understanding about what spirituality is. Mm. Yeah, and you mentioned some of the the psychedelic aspects there. Can you give a brief disclaimer for those who might be considering and maybe quick watchouts if they were to consider going that route? Yeah, for sure. And thank you for for offering that. It's super important. Um, you know, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a, um, a shaman. And, you know, I think that I speak strictly from, from my experience. Um, I think in particular working with plant medicines, um, or psychedelics in recovery is something that needs to be approached with care and integration and with a team. It's not something to just use as an excuse to go get high, very different from going camping with your friends on the weekend and, and eating some mushrooms. Um, so, you know, first and foremost, approaching it with that type of the, you know, the uh, Tim Ferriss, who's become a leader, someone so similar to me, who was a tech guy, you know, writing books about productivity, and then had some big experiences where psychedelics and he's like, oh, wait, no, actually none of that productivity stuff matters anymore. Um, right. But he has a great saying, which is that you should investigate um, these, these, ent these entheogens, these compounds with the same uh, severity that you would investigate having a, a tumor, a literal tumor removed from your brain, like getting brain surgery, because it's a type of psycho-spiritual surgery. Um, and so that would be my my disclaimer for folks is that, you know, to treat these, these, these things. And the other thing I would say is I work with lineages that have been using these, these plants for since the dawn of time in a healing ceremonial method. And so just approaching it with that type of reverence and respect, not as escape, but as a catalyst to go deeper within the self. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that and, and knowing, you know, just to add to that, that it's, it's one way or one potential path, right? Um, so that's one, one way to approach this spirituality journey that we're alluding to here. Uh, and one of the things I was hoping to do with you, Alex, is, is break down what is happening in the world as it relates to spirituality and healing mm -hmm. from an even bigger level. And to some extent, see, see where we can go of trying to provide, you know, framework or tools and tips for folks to think about it. Because oftentimes, especially me having experienced the things I've experienced at this point in the personal development spiritual journey that it can get freaking overwhelming and <laughs> of where to start. Maybe you recognize like, Oh, I have some yeah. shit to work on. What do mm. I do? Where do I start? Mm. Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. Um, I think to, to focus first on this, on spirituality. Um, yeah. I think spirituality, it can mean so many different things to so many different people, which is really the, the beauty of, of it. Um, I think most fundamentally, um, for me, spirituality is about connection. It's about connection to ourselves. It's about connection to uh, the people around us. Um, it's about connection to the earth. Um, it's about connection to everything and in, in anything. Um, and so, you know, for instance, like this conversation that we're having right now can be a spiritual act or um, taking out the trash can be spiritual, uh, making your, your morning coffee, um, any, anything and everything. And so it's not limited. What some people might um, view to be spiritual might totally not be for someone else. Um, and so I think therein um, lies, lies its beauty. Um, and so 
to to get to the the latter part of your question around you know where to where to start and and there's what's happening in the in the broader landscape there's quite quite a few things um on like i guess just to focus on uh maybe the where to start um i think that particularly um for for men um being having any sort of embodiment practice and this is actually not just for men um i think that i know you do a lot of men's work so maybe that's where my my mind was going um but it's so in by embodiment practice that can mean meditation it can be yoga it can be anything a dance anything that is a step outside of the the day-to-day uh minutia uh the computers the screens and a step closer into ourselves mm. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and can you provide an even further definition of of embodiment in itself i mean is it looking inward is it just really paying attention to what's going on inside how would you describe that yeah you know that's actually a great question and it's something that i've realized i think that you know for folks this is actually uh i'm glad you mentioned it because for folks who are in the you know, I teach yoga and I'm in, you know, you, you could, you could bucket me very much in, in spiritual communities and circles and we throw out this world embodiment. And then I actually find that a lot of my, you know, the tech, my tech clients that I work with and, and founders, like they, when I, they're like, what the hell does that mean? And so I'm glad it's, it's, it's important to, to mention that. And so I think what, um, at the, at the deepest level embodiment is being comfortable in your own skin. And when, and so that, I mean, that, that's a bit, a big, a big thing, right? To be comfortable in your own skin means that you're, you've worked through your neuroses. You've worked through some of that trauma that we carry, some of the projections that we project from our psyche onto others, um, judgments, uh, so, so many things in that where you are in your body in space and time in the present moment, you are inhabiting the energetic field which, you know, manifests in, in that, you know, the physical body that is Jonathan or, or Alex. Um, and so um, I think that when, when people are embodied, and this is why it's, I think, so interesting to, for, for leaders, right? When people are actually in their own skin or embodied, it, it puts everyone else at ease. It's someone that p- other people want to be around, Um what, how does how, does that make sense? Does that yeah, mean yeah, it does. And it sounds like what you're saying is an embodied individual is someone who has spent the time to understand themselves at a deep level and feels comfortable with the things that are quite literally going on within them and in their bodies, really, because that's our inner experience. Yeah. 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 And I think that inner work, you know, unless you're born um, a, a an enlightened saint in India, you know, you're going to you're most people are you know we're we're born into this world we experience we experience trauma we th- we experience all the things that all the complexities of the modern world for just someone to come of age in these times in the 2020s and um you know we we live in, in wild truly profound times where we're taking in a lot of stimulation um more than our ancient hardware um and software is really really built to handle. And so um, typically for someone to actually be comfortable in their body, um, it takes a lot of inner work to get to a place. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can totally relate. I won't get into the details, of course, because it, it's a journey mm-hmm. in itself. But yeah, it is a, a process. And, you know, I'll be honest, the reason I really wanted to have you on the show is I know you've been and are on this path and this journey. And I thought it would be super fun to, to keep throwing these these questions at you of what it means to be on the journey, right? Um, mm. And the next one I want to hit you with is I think we hear a lot of talk Hit around. <laughs> We're on Zoom, man. I can't. Uh, we hear a lot of talk mm-hmm. around having a spiritual awakening, for example, mm-hmm. right? And I think the thing I struggle with is how do you describe that? And I mean, I think you and I can attest without being like, "Yeah, we're spiritually awake." What it what it can feel like at times. Uh, but how would you describe a spiritual awakening? Hmm. Yeah. Well, um, I think that I'm in many ways unqualified to answer that question, but I will take my, my best stab because yeah, I have, um, in, in, so I'll, I'll talk about a a couple things. Um, I'll, I'll pull from my own experience and then talk about many teachers and, and others who are smarter and have walked this road, um, that I look to who can help contextualize, um, what I have experienced. Um, so I, I think that um, when people think spiritual awakening, um, they often associate with uh, bliss, happiness, you know, um, like being in full lotus pose and meditating above your 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 meditation cushion and and all the just the good vibes. Um, when I think the reality of spiritual awakenings are actually um, quite painful, and it can feel like you're having your skin peeled off layer by layer um, where, um, you know, and, and so guys like Adyashanti, uh, the Buddhist uh, and non-duality um, writer and, and teacher, uh, Ram Dass, Alan Watts, I mean, the list just goes on and on. Talk about how it's like, you don't want to have a spiritual awakening. You're not ready for it because you, you just don't want, it's, it's that painful to recognize. And I've been there myself where you have moments where you recognize that everything that you thought was true about yourself, about the carefully constructed ego that we, our psyches maintain in order for its survival, about uh, reality or maya, the, unlo- the illusion, um, as the Buddhists call it. Um, once that veil is lifted and you realize that everything that you've been holding so dearly um, and deeply and identifying with, it actually is like one of the most terrifying experiences that I've ever encountered. Um, and it is if you don't have proper support and integration, um, it can be extremely destabilizing. Um, that said, it once you have cro- lifted that veil and kind of seen the other side of what of what awakening can taste like, um, you can start to experience some of the the more I think positive moments where you actually. Are, you, you don't feel as attached to the things that you used to. You find joy in the pain and the grief and the sorrow and see, start seeing the beauty in you know, what the Tao talks about is like the 10,000 things, all of the bad things, all the good things. Um, and then, you know, I think just to take like a step back from even all of that, I think we all can find brief little moments of awakening every day where you see you're walking on the street and you notice a flower blossoming out of the crack in the sidewalk uh you the sun is setting and you just for a moment are taking it in there's no thought it's just 
a, a being, a feeling, a knowing, the gnosis, as the as the Greeks called it. Um, and so, yeah, that's. Uh, I'll I'll stop there for now. <laughs> yeah, well, for not being an expert that you said you you're not, I thought that was uh, well delivered from my point of view, at least. And I was just relating to what you were saying because, by no means, was it easy at any point in time when I when I considered to have just kind of opened my eyes to what the hell am I doing? Who the hell am I actually? <laughs> Where do all mm-hmm. these beliefs come from that I thought were mine? For example. Uh, is one case where I recognized what was going on. Uh, and and also to say that it it often is the case from what I've learned from others. And let me know if 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 you can relate to this, Alex, or, or what your experience is with it, that it doesn't just happen in a single instant to the extent that, oh, well, now I'm enlightened. Now I'm awake. Now I'm like the Buddha. I'm good to go now. Right. It's, <laughs> it's, it's been an initiation and then the work begins. Yeah. I think that, I think you nailed it. Initiation is, is the word that comes to mind. Um, and um, yeah, many, I think of the leaders to look to like some of the folks that I mentioned talk about how um, it's, it's a, a remembering, like when you kind of find that awakening, it's almost like touching a place that you always knew was there, but then you forget. And then you have to do the work to, remember again and find it again. And so usually it's this, the start of what is a lifelong journey um, to get a little bit closer to ourselves and maybe a little bit more comfortable with suffering, with human suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Now, can you speak a little bit more of what was happening for you or what did happen for you when that moment uh, came through, right? So you mentioned recognizing that you're not the ego, for example, recognizing your true nature, you know, can you speak a little bit more to like what the ego is and how you would describe our true nature of what you're alluding to? Mm, yeah. So there, there was a, a book that became really popular by um, Ryan Holiday. That was the ego is the enemy. And um, I think actually it's a, a misunderstanding of the ego's role um, where oftentimes like we, we bastardize the ego um, because the ego has such a stronghold in our life um, because the ego is really like this dominant force. Um, and we see so many of the negative manifestations of ego, um, whether it's destruction of the environment, um, lack of consideration for, for our you know, fellow humans, war, you know, so many things. Um, yet the ego plays an important role um, and that is to, you know, maintain, like if we, if we were to talk about kind of the soul um, from if looking back in like Plato and, and ancient Greek perspective, um, there's the soul and then uh, the psyche and the ego, the ego plays the role of helping chariot kind of the soul towards its purpose. Um, so that's just one, one perspective. Um, and so I think for, you know, for most like folks, particularly Westerners, like when we first realize that the ego is not real, like when I, when that first happened to me and I had been familiar intellectually with all the concepts, I had heard all about it. Um, but when I first really recognized it and, um, felt it and went to a place of non-duality, as I mentioned, it was, it it was terrifying. It was the most terrifying experience 
parts of my life um, because it doesn't feel, it doesn't actually feel good. It didn't at that time. Um, and so um, when I was in that space, it's, it's difficult to describe, um, but everything that I had, there was no conception, everything that I used to identify with, with having a job, to being successful in tech, having a, uh, a beautiful partner, um, being a family member, being just a, a citizen like in the world, mm. all of that was gone and lost. And it felt very much, I think I use the word lost because it, I think can feel it's, it's so unknown and that it can feel a little bit like, you know, what folks would maybe associate more so with like insanity or, um, and that's why I think there is this like really fine line between the concept of like insanity and brilliance. Um, mm. So, yeah. Um, that said, I think when I came, when I started to come back, and, and this was very much like a, a, an intense moment where I really went to a non-dual place. And then when I came back, and there was Alex, actually- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interrupt you. Can you describe non-dual or what you mean by non-duality? Yeah, thank you. Um, so um, w in a dualistic word, there, there are yin and yang, opposite, opposite, you know, black and white, um, all, male and female, um, you know, matter and um, antimatter. Um, in a non-dual state, um, which again, I would say I'm probably unqualified to truly put words, you know, these are things that words fall short in their descriptors. Yeah. Um, but in the non-dual state, you are, you know, what, what some would call like in unity consciousness or um, in just oneness. Mm -hmm. Like if you mm -hmm. think, I think the best explanation I've heard about it is if you think about how e everything that is in our universe um, was supplied from one single thrust, evolutionary thrust of big bang energy that burst this whole thing into, into existence. What that means is that every single emotion, every single experience that we can have as humans must also be contained within that one evolutionary thrust. And so that's just one way I like to think of it, like where, okay, well, the concept of the big bang, I mean, it's very difficult to wrap our heads around that, but thinking that, okay, if there is a, a concept of just oneness, one thing, mm. it's like that little entry point of that singular thrust that birthed our universe. Like it's being in that place. Yep. yep. And so we don't have the tool, the software, you know, the humans don't have the software or the hardware to really make sense of what it feels like to be there. Yeah. Yeah. So if I heard you, it's really, if you are, in duality, it's almost like a feeling of separateness, meaning that you think you are separate from everything that we are perceiving, if you will. And then non-duality is a state of, to your point, you are one with all that is, for lack of better words. Exactly. That's that, then that's a really good point that you make on the separation, right? And that um, what is why so many of these spiritual teachers talk about how um, our illusion of separation where we think of ourselves as separate from each other um, when we're really just like you and I are just slightly different organized organic patterns of energy. Um, and, you know, so that's one, that's a one very kind of deep quantum perspective, but then even, you know, you could take a step back, right. And just look at it from humans. Like I saw an interesting um, fact that we are at least at the most a 50th cousin from every single person on earth. 
And so it's like to look at it from that perspective too, where it's like, we, there really is not more, you know, it is just kind of one family, mm. um, one ecosystem. Um, and so, yeah, I think I'm, um, thanks for making that clarification. Too. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just wanted to bring it up because again, it's one of those terms that I even was trying to make sure that I understood as well. <laughs> um, and I did interrupt you when you were saying at, at the moment, um, when you had that experience of the non-duality and that's when I interrupted you. Yeah. Yeah. And so what, like I went to this place that felt very scary. Um, it felt very strange. It, it was not a place I was comfortable in. Um, I knew something like life-changing had happened. And then when I came back, um, there was a bit of relief, a bit of relief. Like when I felt the constructs of Alex come back, you know, all the things that I had clung to my entire life, um, the, it, it was like, oh, like a oh, few, I'm back. Um, and so I think that's where what some of these like great teachers talk about how like, you know, a spiritual awakening is not always fun. Um, it really resonates with me because, you know, there's a part of me which even knows now, like, am I ready for that? Um, and that's why it's also so, I think is why it's so rare. You know, if we think about um, Jed McKenna, who writes some amazing books and he's actually pseudonymous, um, talks a lot about enlightenment. And when you look at enlightenment, you know, how many ashrams or uh, Buddhist retreats, yoga retreats are there out there? How many like schools and millions of people are dedicating their lives to kind of reaching enlightenment? A lot, right? You know, safe to say. Um, how many people actually achieve it? You know, <laughs> no one basically. And so um, I think it's like, because it's that, that, paradigm shifting yeah and i'm curious from what you've read or learned i mean how do they describe when you know you have reached enlightenment hmm well i don't think there's a an answer to that i don't think there's a yeah i, I definitely am not qualified to answer that one um and yeah um i think that what more what more than anything what you notice is that um you're, you're like on the journey of like right. continually working on yourself and that you're, you're, you know, it, it, like that's actually a sign like um, that you're practicing the, the fact that you might be encountering um, hardships mm. or even asking, am I having a spiritual awakening? Like, am I, like I was awakened one minute or like one moment I felt very aligned and in tune. And now I, I don't like, I think that um, you know, if it's all good and you just like think you're enlightened, chances are you're not doing something right. Um, and so it's the practice. It's actually facing the uncertainty and the doubt um, when you're questioning like everything that you're doing. Like, is you know, wait, is this whole spirituality thing crock? Like, is this whole journey that I'm on for awakening? Like when you start, you know, this spirituality, like this is all, you know, how do I know this is real? Like, it's actually those limitations in those kind of questions i think that like how you know that you're at least practicing right yeah and I, I don't even know where i heard of this but it was it was something along the lines of if you ever if you ever are questioning whether you are enlightened then that the answer is no <laughs> yeah um jonathan i'm going to turn my lights on real quickly because it got dark and i didn't plan on that and i'm apologize yeah sorry about that no. i felt i was like feeling very self-conscious that you were just looking like dark. looking at me in the dark <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> learning learning a couple of things yeah no, i, I could see you i can see you uh all right well next question because 
I think we've spent a little bit of time uh, around the concept of spirituality, what it can mean in different situations uh, around spiritual awakening as well. I, th- I think I want to go next to how does he- the word healing or the concept of healing fit into spirituality, spiritual awakenings, uh, and, and what does it mean to be healing, quote unquote? Mm, yeah. Another great question. Another, another big one um, that I'll do my best uh, to um, answer. Um, so the etymology of, of healing is to, to come to wholeness uh, and whole. Um, and I think that we, when we're, we're born, um, uh, there's a, um, Austrian, uh, psychologist, uh, Otto Rank, who, um, I think in the early uh, 20th century talked about birth trauma, how, when we are, we're in our mother's womb and we're in this, this, this state of wholeness at, you know, literally connected to our mother nurturing us part of her body in our womb. And then when we're born, we're immediately struck by this birth trauma. And then the rest of our life, we come out kicking and screaming. We're the blind light. The doctor maybe spanks us. And, you know, from there, it's just this never ending struggle to actually return to the womb state. And so there's actually a lot of different interesting theories around sleep and dreams and how like every time we sleep, we touch that dream state uh, in that womb state rather. Um, and so I think that, um, what, what, yeah, when I think of healing, um, it's, we, we all accumulate parts of ourselves that are lacking in wholeness, parts of ourselves that feel incomplete, um, scars, you know, trauma. Um, if you want to get super deep and this is what, you know, a lot of the, um, Tibetan Buddhists talk about with reincarnation and past lives. Like we're, we're not only carrying wounds from our childhood in this life, but potentially the, the generations before us yeah, um, are embedded into a type. It, it really is. And, um, you know, I, I, I will say for the skeptics out there, myself among them, um, I'd recommend a great book, um, which is about a, a doctor, a psychoanalyst who started working with a patient and hypnotizing her. And she started just, it's his, this guy who is the hard, most hardcore um, secular um, psychoanalyst. And um, he then through his experience of hypnotizing his patient, um, she started recounting past lives um, and speaking languages that she never had learned and, you know, recounting details that just truly are, are mind blowing. And, um, it is eluding me at the moment. Um, but I will, I'll come, I'll, I'll, we'll follow up in the show notes on it, but it's one of yeah. my, one of my favorite books. Um, and, um, and so I just having myself tasting experiences like that, knowing so many others that have had experiences that talk about what, you know, experiences from that just don't make sense. I would say that the skeptic in me is curious. I'm not, you know, I'm very curious and, and I'm, I'm more open-minded to the possibility that that might be, you know, something that is real than um, just more humbled that what we don't know than what I do know. And so uh, that's all I'll say on that. But um, I think that there's just so many things that, that we carry that, um, you know, hurt us and contribute to our suffering. And so healing um, is whatever earnest method that we, we take to, to bring ourselves a little bit closer to ourselves. And like, it comes back to that embodiment, being comfortable in our, in our skin, being 
okay with the reflection that we see in the mirror. Um, and I think that that ties into spirituality because that's ultimately, you know, if we can't be connected to ourselves, we can't be connected to other people. Mm. And that, you know, I think you could, you could riff off that as being, you know, a major, um, a major reason for why the world has so many problems. And it just came to me, by the way, it's the book is called many lives, many masters. Mm. Got it. Um, so yeah, that's definitely one worth one checking out. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it. And the way that my mind put it, put two and two together was, and let me know if you agree or if you disagree or your thoughts on it, but you have a quote unquote spiritual awakening where, you know, the way I would categorize that is you wake up and you're just questioning everything from that moment on the healing begins. It's a process of healing all of the wounds that you have become aware of in a sense. What do you think about that? I think that, that, you know, I guess you could talk about, um, in my experience that that was the case where like, mm-hmm. especially, I mean, I would say that you, if, especially if you want to call like my bottom in recovery with addiction, like if we were to call that a moment of awakening, um, that's when my healing really started to begin. Um, uh, I think it looks different for, for many different people, yeah. you know, some people will begin healing, um, you know, and so I, you know, I think the, the term, I think what is more universal, um, is healing, you know, cause I think everyone, um, has within like our body is like, if you just think about the human body, like we have a life positive, um, life affirming force that like, let's say, you know, think about the human eye. If we get a scrape on our eye, well, like, first of all, the eye is just like, talk about what an advanced technological instrument, like taking in information, you know, taking photons, hitting our retinas, then reprocessing it, you know, in our brains. If we get a scrape on that eye, it will literally heal itself. And so I think that healing, you know, most people think of emotional and traumatic healing. They think of it as separate from the type of healing that our bodies, how our bodies are, are working for ourselves all the time, even when it might feel like they're not. Um, and I think though that actually, you know, when we get out of our own way and when we can get, get out of the story and the narratives, the body will actually come to a natural place of healing. That's one of, one of my beliefs and one of the core tenets of Hakomi, which is a somatic, uh, mindfulness approach to psychotherapy that I, I study in, um, and so I think like the healing is pretty universal to the human. Um, the spiritual awakening you could say is too, but is just a little bit harder to pin down, I think, um, you know, in the same way that, you, you know, I think that the simplest thing would be that we all have moments of, of brief enlightenment. Um, so maybe it, they, they're both universal. Um, but I think the healing is something that is actually happening at all times, but we're just really not aware of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that totally makes sense. And for all those listening, Alex and I are both trying to figure this thing out, which is why we wanted to have this conversation too. <laughs> so there's no right yeah. answer here for any of these questions. This is all just where we come from based on our experiences as well. Well, and I'm cur- on that note, um, I'm curious, like, you know, for, I would love to hear a little bit about your um, experience with awakening or what that felt like to you, if it felt good or if it, if it felt similar to me, if it was painful. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm happy to share. And the the first thing I'll attest to is, yes, it is painful. And the reason I will say it is painful is 
you come to this true the recognition that you have this opportunity opportunity but also realization that to become who you truly are meant to be in life you have to give up everything that you thought was meant for you <laughs> right like mm. all of the jobs all of the dreams that were not really mine if you will i was i was trying to prove something and this is where the ego comes in right it was just a set of beliefs a set of drives that weren't really mine um yeah. So that realization was painful because I thought, shit, I have worked all my life for everything that I've done and built. <laughs> and now yeah. I recognize that I will have to, yeah, pretty much let go of all of that. And it's not so much in a tangible sense, but it's, it's more so in a like accomplishment sense of like, wow, I've done all of that, but I was trying to prove X thing. And almost coming to a forgiveness with yourself that that's just mm. the truth, right? Um, and the moment that that it had happened, yeah, it, w- it was really through a recognition of who I was trying to pretend to be, all the reasons that I wouldn't open up to receive and give love. Um, it also came a lot from, from childhood for me, right? I, I, I actually yeah. had to play the role in my family of the... Yeah, I like to categorize it as the golden child, right? The one that will succeed Mm -hmm. in all things in all areas in life. Uh, And that was just built in as like a a mechanical set of beliefs of who I thought I had to become in life uh, to make X person happy, my family, whoever that might be. And just going back to the painful moment was realizing like, wow, a lot of these things that I've done weren't really because I wanted to. It was just because I thought that's who I was supposed to be and what I was supposed to do from my college degree mm. to where I was pretty much a lot of the things that I was doing <laughs> just up to a couple of years ago. Um, and it, it was certainly a time where every, I questioned everything, right? And, you know, I, I read a little bit about your story as well, more on the, on the written form of starting to look inside for answers as well. Like, well, shit, what do I actually want to do? What do I like without thinking what I should be doing? (laughs) What are the things that I like? What are the things that I enjoy? Uh, What should I do with my life? Uh, And and it's still in a process, right? Um, But the pain is recognizing that all those changes are about to happen if you do want to reach the joy that we're all really aiming for. Hmm. That's powerful, man. Yeah, what I hear in that is how much of our lives we, I don't want to say waste, but I'll say waste living for other people's ideals of what we should be doing rather than our own. Yeah, And so that's that's super, yeah, in, inspiring to hear. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's hard to categorize because it, it's obviously not a waste to the extent that if I look at my life, I mean, I've built a lot of things, right? Success. In, in a way that others would look at like, what the hell? Why are you complaining, mm-hmm. dude? You, you have this, you have that. Uh, you're, you're ridiculous complaining about everything that you've done. And, and it's actually not, not about that at all. And one of the ways, I mean, I did a lot of, of coaching with others that it was helpful to look at is that I was trying to survive, right? Like we talked about the ego, like the ego was making me do these things to prevent a pain that mm. is underneath that was underneath that wanted me to explore. And in doing all these things, it was like an easy way out. Like, okay, well, if I just do all of these things, then I'm just going to be good. I'm going to succeed. Uh, 
and the recognition that when things changed, if I wanted to change my life, I knew that I had to look at the wounds. I would have to look at the pain and I had to feel into them and I had to lean into them. And that was a process yeah. in itself, to be honest. Like it took a little while to, to rack up the courage to truly look inside myself and see all the areas that I'm wounded in. And that shit is hard. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. You, I mean, I, I, I really, uh, appreciate you just putting, putting this message out there. And I think that, um, yeah, to, to your point, like, um, when, when you're in early recovery and you hear people giving their talks in the rooms of recovery rooms about how I'm so grateful about, you know, the, the, the struggles I went through and I thank God for my addiction. You hear that. And when you're in early recovery, you're like, man, like, I just cannot imagine how that is the case. Um, and it takes a while to get there, but I can just, you know, what we're all on, we're all given different sets of circumstances and karma and how we, you know, how we choose to face those and move through life. Um, that tends to be the song that defines us. Um, and so similar to you, I, I wouldn't say it's any of that stuff was a waste, um, but actually the grace kind of unfolding through, through that song that, you know, gets louder and louder, the more that we can get out of our own way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's only been a couple of years for me to be honest. Right. And just knowing that it takes a lot of time and commitment and effort and, and being intentional with what you're trying to get at too. Right. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and Alex, I know you coach a lot of folks too, that, that you can relate to the extent that it it's very, it's very difficult and you need support along the journey as well. And that was one of the areas that I'll just say briefly that I, I frankly just thought I had it figured out, right? It's like, <laughs> I have life figured out, you know, yeah. I'm going to go here. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm just going to do everything I need to do because I, I know what it takes to live a great fucking life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then the other area was that it was very difficult for me to ask for help because I thought I had it figured out. And the big moment and a big shift was, okay, I, I don't. Here are my weaknesses. Here are my limitations. And then how do I reach out for help as well? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So important. Um, I think that's one of the most beautiful things about, you know, I can speak mostly to just um, a few different spiritual communities, like tying it back to spirituality is that, you know, one of, you know, the, the, um, the Buddha talks about how you take refuge in, in the Buddha. Um, you take refuge in uh, the Sangha, um, which is the community. Um, and so um, that is, I think that community is one of the most, like whether it's a, a meditation community, whether it's a recovery community, whether it's a, a men's group, um, you know, a women's group, uh, any sort of different circles, like there's so many things out there. And even, even in COVID times, like there's so many digital options. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that community and having folks that you can, you know, build relationships with who have walked this walk, um, is, is just so, so important. And we're, we're lucky actually to have, um, despite, you know, some of the challenges that we're presented with now, we're lucky to have tools that allow us to reach people in our pockets. Yep. Yeah, exactly. There, there's so much out there 
to help us through this. And, and that's where I wanted to go next, Alex, is actually ask you nowadays and throughout the journey, right? What are the things that have helped you the most as it relates to practices or tools? And also, what are you using today? Like, what have you kept after exploring all the different resources that are available? Yeah. Hmm. So it's, it's interesting. Um, I was in early, in my early recovery and my early spirituality journey, I was very much a meditator and, um, I, I almost became addicted to med- the meditation, but to the streak, you know, I was using insight timer and I had a, uh, I think like a 550 day streak, you know, daily streak going. And it wasn't until I was on another retreat when I forgot the, I was meditating a bunch when I forgot the log, the meditation <laughs> where I was, I broke the streak, which is, was just the ultimate dose of, you know, the cosmic giggle where you're, you just, the universe just kind of smacks you in the face and all you can do is laugh at yourself. Um, and, and that's when I realized that like, okay, wait, what am I, what, what, what am I doing here? And that, yeah. you know, you can get into that, that could go down roads of, of spiritual materialism, but um, meditation, but the point being that meditation was definitely a super helpful tool. Um, and I made it part of my identity where I became the type of person who was a meditator. And I think that was key. Um, interestingly, I had always done yoga and I started hearing a call to deepen my yoga um, and I felt very much in conflict with maybe how, oh, I was going so deep in, in Buddhism, you know, yoga is Hindu, um, mostly derived from, from Hinduism. And this will also speak for those who, you know, are familiar, you know, this spoke to just my limited understanding at the time, because all of these things are yoga. They're all from Indian, Indian yoga and philosophy. They're different forms, right? And so, um, then I decided to pursue yoga and train and man, that just opened up a whole new world. And it, it goes so deep, you know, some say 20,000, 80,000 year old tradition um, where people have truly figured out, you know, intricate complex of the body and the map and the psyche. And, um, and so those are two practices that I do daily. Um, I am a big, um, believer in um, like a morning routine. Morning routine has been key to my recovery. Um, when I work with my my clients, it's an, a, a hugely you know foundational thing. Where um, the idea in in recovery, but just in life in general, is that you know you take it one day at a time. You focus on having you know, focus on what's in front of you, um, and if you nail your morning, like a good morning makes for a good day. A string of good days makes for a good life, um, and so. In the morning, uh, you know, I have a, 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 I will, I'll move my body in yoga. I'll meditate. I'll do some breath, pranayama or breath work. Um, I also will write. And so writing, um, you know, I, I've, I've all, I'm first and foremost, I identify as a writer. And so writing for me is, is also a spiritual practice. Mm. Um, it's a cathartic practice. Um, journaling, I think that more people would, would be better in learning about themselves if they, if they spent some time journaling, you know, or writing, not just for someone to read, but for, or a social media post, but for themselves. Um, And so those are kind of my cornerstone activities that um, I've stuck with. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So in summary, you said meditation, yoga, breath work, and writing also. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. And, and those are all ones that, you know, I've, I've experimented with and, and try and use differently in different ways as well. And the one more recently with the writing is, uh, and, and in our men's group that we're in together, I mean, we had uh, one of our, our brothers, Samuel, he, you know, shout out to Sam. He had suggested this stream of consciousness writing that has helped me a lot, frankly, mm. just writing at night, especially just to get my thoughts out pff, has been super yeah. helpful. Um, yeah. And, and I just want to go quickly down the, the thread of the, of the meditation piece, because I think this is where there can be some confusion around what it means to meditate. And, and first mm-hmm. and foremost, I'll share my experience because when I started to meditate, it was my belief of, Oh, well, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to try and get rid of all my thoughts. <laughs> and when mm. I sat down to try and meditate, the first thing I noticed was that I was having a lot of trouble getting rid of my thoughts. Yeah. Um, so what, what's happening there, Alex, if you can speak to that and how would you, how would you suggest folks actually think about meditation and, and when you know it's working versus not? Yeah. Another one, another good question. Another one that, um, yeah, well, so I think that's, that is most people's first experience with meditation where they sit down, they, you know, there's a great quote that um, most of uh, humankind's problems would be alleviated if a man knew how to sit alone in a quiet room. Um, And so you, when we finally do that and you close our eyes, go inward and shut all the stimulation off, um, it can be quite overwhelming to, to recognize how loud the mind radio is. And so I'd say a couple things. So are we secrete thoughts, um, like thoughts arise uh, without effort, but we're not in control of the thoughts that arise. We can have con- some, we can regain some control of the, the meta situation, um, but just to stay with this thread um, in the same way that, you know, the, 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 or the, the lungs are an organ that secrete, you know, breath, breathing automatically, the brain and our whole system will secrete thoughts. And so um, oftentimes those thoughts, like those thoughts are are bursts of energy. And um, when we are hyper aroused, when our nervous systems, you know, there's, there's so many things that will connect to what thoughts are arising and how frequently they're arising. Um, I think when most people meditate for the first time, they see like, oh my God, it's incessant. And even the simple task of focusing on the breath, following the breath, tracking the breath can be quite, quite challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, and so meditation, I think in the simplest form is just witnessing, is stepping into witness consciousness. And what that means is coming to a place of just observing the thoughts um, where recognizing, oh, that's, you know, thinking, I'm thinking about what I'm going to eat for lunch, or I'm thinking about what I'm going to talk about on Jonathan's podcast, or I'm, you know, fantasizing about, you know, this person Um, in naming that. And when we step into that witness and part of the witness is also coming to a place of non-judgment. Because here's the thing, I think that meditation, the really like powerful thing about meditation is that, um, you know, you're, you're, you're in the way that you're sitting on the chair right now, um, or anyone else might be sitting down um, somewhere. Um, if you can observe the chair that you're sitting on, that means that you are not the chair. In the same way, if there's a part of you that can recognize, oh, like that was a dark thought or that was a positive thought, 
what that means is that you or whatever that thing is that observe that thought is not quote unquote you. And so then the, mm. the, perhaps the biggest question of them all is who is the, who, who, who's the observer? And I don't have an answer for that one, but. Um, I thought you wanted to go there. Yeah, I, I did want to go there because I think that, yeah, the meditation, right? Like, you know, you, it can, you can go, okay, this is something that I'm going to do to lower cortisol and reduce stress and make me more productive at work. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can go like infinitely deep, like we just briefly did. Yeah. Yeah. And, and brief, brief is a good word. And yeah, generally that, that was my experience. And I remember when I got into the realm of exploring that in the first place, because I had a bout of just thoughts that were causing me a lot of stress. And I remember opening up Eckhart Tolle's book, The Power of Now, and the first chapter is called, You Are Not Your Mind. And I thought, what? What do you... What, huh. what do you what do you mean? And then I started reading that, of course, and in practicing the meditation uh, in relation to that, I think how you said it fits perfectly well because you know even the example you gave that just like we can observe any other object, thoughts are in a sense objects that we can just observe, right? And maybe others have heard the analogy of of just being like the sky and then the thoughts being clouds, if you will, that are just passing by, passing by. Um, and there's different analogies that we can use, right? But I think the punchline is in meditation, just knowing that we can't rid of the thoughts. <laughs> They're always going to be there. It sounds like it's more about how we relate to the thoughts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and generally, and by the way, just to double tap on Eckhart Tolle, like he is, his books, um, Power of Now and A New Earth, like you read those books and or you watch him on YouTube and you you would like there's just some a quality to taking in his words in the way that he shares his presence that you're just like oh yeah this guy knows something mm-hmm. um and so i i would re- just highly recommend exploring that yeah. for anyone who's curious um and yeah and, and to your point like it's it's not only coming into a different relationship with those thoughts but i think um the other thing is that when you actually can inhabit that witness that witness consciousness, the thoughts dissipate and they lose, they, the thoughts and then, you know, thoughts trigger emotions, they lessen in intensity. And so um, generally like, you know, having a clear mind or quote unquote, a clear mind in meditation is first achieved by observing the unclarity of the mind. Right. Yeah. And I think it sounds like that just, improves our relationship to the thoughts because you know what i've noticed is now on a daily basis when i do have thoughts of frustration or anger or being upset is i kind of take a seat of being in a cinema in a way of oh yep let me just sit down and grab my popcorn because the stream of thoughts (laughs) is about to come up (laughs) yeah what is jonathan up to now yeah exactly exactly it just it just comes up Uh, but yeah and and also say also that as it relates to meditation, it it does help calm the nervous system as well because oftentimes when we when our nervous system gets upregulated, it's because we cling or attach to some of those thoughts that cause us stress, right? But when we learn to not identify with them or just see them as thoughts that are passing, we don't actually react to them anymore. As at least that's been my experience. Uh, and it's changed my my nervous system reaction, honestly. Like I'm just less stressed, frankly. 
Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, a one of my f- first sponsors in AA said something that will I'll never forget when I was, I don't know what I might've been complaining about. Uh, but he said, you know, you don't have to take your thoughts seriously. And that's like a very revolutionary <laughs> concept where it's like, oh yeah, you know, like, thanks for sharing Alex, you know, but I'm just going to like ignore that. Like literally just ignore it. And just let it kind of move, like you talked about with the cloud in the sky or the other, um, the other metaphor I love is thinking about like leaves on a stream and just watching the leaf, you know, float through the float on by. Um, And so, yeah, I I think that that definitely resonates. Yeah, that's a good one for sure. Well, Alex, I'm looking at time and I do want to open up an opportunity to just have you share anything else that you think um, would be helpful for folks to listen and based on your story, anything we've talked about, anything you want to leave folks with? Well, I think this was a super rich conversation. You, uh, I, I think we, yeah, you did a really great job of like guiding us through many different arcs of uh, stuff that's important to me. And so um, uh, I appreciate that, having a space to explore these ideas. And um, yeah, I think that maybe just, you know, something I would would share for people is like, to just follow their, you know, if there was something that we mentioned, um, you know, we talked about a whole bunch of things and tools that are, you know, go like whether it's meditation or yoga or recovery, um, awakening, you know, these are, or even any of the authors, you know, these all go so deep. Each one goes like mm-hmm. infinitely deep. And I would just encourage folks who in your, your, your listeners, like who are curious to follow that curiosity and um, just follow the, follow the nose you know, the daemons talk about kind of like a whisper. Uh, the Greeks talk about this this concept of a daemon where it's like a whisper. It's like, oh, huh, that thing that Jonathan mentioned, I want to explore that. And so um, that's been something that has helped me transform my life is like l- listening to that, to that little voice. And so that, that would probably be one ending note that I would offer folks. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Thanks, Alex. And that being said, last but not least, where can folks reach you and what is the work that you're doing in the world today uh yeah so um I, on um social media i'm at olo al o, olo like yolo olo is my nickname and actually stems from a pronunciation of my last name which is olshansky and um my uh, lacrosse coach in high school called me olshansky you know, cut this way. And then it stuck as a nickname. And then I became DJ Olo in college. And, um, and so, yeah, Olo AL um, on, on social media. Um, I write a, a newsletter, um, which has got um, a pretty rich growing audience um, that t- writes about a lot of the stuff we've covered, consciousness, mental health, um, philosophy. Um, and so um, I also, that, there's also a community brewing there, a digital community where we do uh, weekly um, discussion groups. We've got a virtual book club. We've got a Slack group and ways to connect. And this was really is something that has grown in COVID times, looking for ways to deepen human connection virtually. And so I'm quite excited. This thing is, you know, it started as just a small community for my readers, but it's really formed a life of its own, uh, a community around like having conversations that propel our species forward uh, in a time where, you know, there's lots of, lots of things that are hurting. Um, 
that's one of the, those are two of the things that I'm, I'm most excited about. Um, and then, yeah, the work I do in the world, you know, I've been um, in a technology executive for, for a decade. Um, and uh, I am now, um, I've been coaching folks for the last uh, several years and I'm now stepping into uh, coaching um, full time. And so I work with um, a variety of, uh, you know, founders and, and entrepreneurs and executives um, on um, a lot of the stuff we mentioned, um, you know, all kind of geared at, um, living living a better life and and building businesses that um are are, are mission driven um so um th- on top of that um i'm i'm working on a few other things and I'm, I'm working on a book and so there, there's quite a few things a podcast myself this this was great because it's inspiring me to get going on on some of those projects and so um yeah feeling feeling very um, fulfilled right now um uh, with with just the opportunity and the second chance I've been given in my life with mm. re- with this recovery. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Alex. I'll definitely link to everything you mentioned, your website, Instagram, um, on the notes. You know, and I just want to thank you again for coming on, sharing with us, being raw and vulnerable. I think we definitely touched on a lot of topics uh, that, to your point, go very very deep. And that being said. Um, I just want to offer yourself, if you don't mind, and myself as resources, you know, for anything that comes up, questions to anything that we talked about, uh, because the rabbit hole goes pretty deep, folks. <laughs> we understand that. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Happy to. And yeah, thanks again. This was this was a lot of fun. Yeah. All right, Alex. Thanks, man. Talk to you soon.